Today on I'll Have You Know. I felt like there was opportunities, though, for a running store in Cincinnati that could be matched up against the, the competitor. And so I started writing a business plan. I started to do my pro formas, marketing strategy and operation strategy, so on and so forth. And I, I started to execute upon it. I started preparing everything. Cameron Simino didn't sprint to entrepreneurship. It's been more of a marathon. After working in two very different corporate industries, he saw an opportunity to start Tri-State Running and now owns three stores in the Cincinnati area. Well, joining us today is Cameron Simino, Rice Business Class of 2005. Thank you, Cameron, for joining us on I'll Have You Know. It's great to be here. Thank you. I want to ask you a little bit about your path as I was looking at, um, you know, your career path. And for many people, it's it's not a linear path, but I found yours interesting because you were a political science major in college, worked for Air France, then Citibank, and you now own uh, running stores. Can you take me kind of along that path and, and tell me how it all evolved? To, to start from the beginning, really, I was, you know, I was born in Massachusetts, and then at nine years old, I moved to France. And so I lived in France from nine to uh, 15 years old. And so I got to learn the uh, learn the language. Uh, I learned French, and I spoke it fluently. You know, I moved to Houston when I was about 15 years old. And moving from a small town in France to Houston, Texas, was like almost going to the moon. It was just completely different, <laughs> uh, different lifestyle, different way of doing things. And it was, it was, it was kind of surreal. So I went to Klein High School. It was a huge school. I probably had about 2,500 kids, and um, it was probably too big for me. So University of St. Thomas was a great fit for me. I went to undergrad there, and it was a very small school, and got to study in a uh, liberal arts setting, and I thought that did me that did me well. When I was going to school at University of St. Thomas, I needed money, and I started working for Air France, actually. And I started working there my freshman year in college, and uh, when I graduated from University of St. Thomas, um, I uh, they offered me a full-time uh, role to work there full-time with them. So uh, surprisingly enough, as a political science major, I didn't have a lot of people pounding on my door to uh, hire me as a uh, as an employee at their at their place. So I, you know, it was a good fit. I enjoyed what I did. And so I got transferred to Chicago, lived in Chicago for a year. I, I was in charge of their passenger service there. And I moved back to Houston and I did uh, flight planning, weight and balance, which is really cool. And then um, I moved to uh, to Boston um, and um, I was like station management, which was a lot of fun. And then um, I moved to Manhattan and I was promoted in a, in a situation where I managed all the USA gateways from a customer service perspective. So, um, so that's when I moved to Manhattan, I was working a lot of hours. I was working about 65, 70 hours a week. And um, <clears throat> Anyway, I um, I was eating sandwiches and, you know, great uh, New York cuisine, and I put on a lot of weight. And so I was like, wow, I, you know, I've always been active. I've always been, um, you know, athletic, and I didn't recognize the guy that I was. So I decided to, I needed to do something. So I, I bought some running shoes, and I started to run around Central Park, uh, like, you know, once, once, uh, once a day. And I didn't know what I was doing, but I was doing six miles a day, and you're younger, so your body can handle all these, you know, bad practices of running because I was you know doing too much too soon, but I could I could endure it. So I, I started to run and I developed a, uh, a, a passion for it. I was living in uh, New York City when 9-11, the planes kind of, you know, went into the towers. I was only about a couple miles away from it. And wow. I could see um, I could you know come out of my office. I could see everything that was happening. It was a it was a crazy time. It was an absolutely um, mad time. So um, 
those subsequent weeks, you know, if there weren't any, you know, flights, you know, uh, occurring in the in the short term, um, airline travel was restricted. So being kind of in charge of our customer service program, I was working with our finance and HR team, like we were eliminating jobs and they were like, okay, who can we eliminate? You know, what are the positions that we can, you know, be without for a while? So I started to think about it and I was like, well, you know, that could be me two years from now, three years from now. And I've always worked in the airline business, 12 years in the airlines. And I said to myself, I need to diversify who I am. And if I ever lose my job, I'm not just pigeonholed as an airline guy. So that's when I um, started applying to um, MBA programs and looked to stay in New York City, you know, whether it was, you know, uh, NYU, Fordham. I looked at um, Chicago because my parents lived there at Northwestern and, uh, and DePaul. But Going to University of St. Thomas, I always went to the Rice Athletic events, whether it be you know basketball, football, baseball. I was I was a supporter of, um, of of Rice University in terms of their athletics, so I always felt like a fraud because I rooted for them, but I didn't go to school there. So, and I always <laughs> said to myself, I went back to school. I'm going to go to Rice University. So when I got accepted to Rice, I was like, you know, Jesus, I'm going to have to you know, move and I'm going to have to leave New York City and all that kind of stuff. But I said to myself. I made a promise to myself, if I ever got accepted to Rice University, uh, I would go there. So I said, all right, let's go. So I packed up my car, you know, loaded the dog in there. And, you know, I, I showed up oh, like about 12 hours before the first day of school at, uh, at, at the Jones School. And uh, best decision I ever made, probably. When you went into uh, the program, did you have a particular area that you wanted to focus on? I know you said you wanted to sort of diversify, but... Uh, did you go into it with some specific goals and, and areas that you wanted to study? No, you know, I um, what I wanted to be, um, my father, you know, was a general manager. He was an MBA and he studied, you know, general management. And, you know, I, I leaned on him quite a bit in terms of, you know, job experiences and, and things of that nature. And I know that I didn't want to be kind of just stuck in one area. I wanted to look at like the business from a whole and managing, uh, you know, the marketing end, the, you know, looking at, um, you know, the operations end, and, you know, the financial parts of it as well. So I wanted to be more kind of in leadership, general management. Um, and I don't think at Rice they had a program per se uh, for that, but I took a lot of like leadership classes, operations classes, some marketing, some uh, some finance stuff. So, you know, my goal as I really like, you know, after the first semester and so forth, I realized that, you know, I just wanted to be able to go into meetings and go into, you know, into my future, you know, uh, business or future employer and be able to ask the right questions and have an understanding and not feel like, you know, what they were saying would, you know, wouldn't make any sense. So that was always my goal to have like an understanding of business as a whole, but I didn't want to specialize in one spot. So that was my emphasis. I always just wanted to be, you know, a general manager, to be honest. And I don't know if you've been back to campus much since graduation. It's been about 15 years for you. Have you been back? Yeah, I, you know, I try to go back once a year. Um, some guys from, uh, from, from the Jones School, actually, we have a uh, fantasy baseball league that we go to. Uh, and we meet up once a year in March. And every year I go back and I visit campus. And uh, um, I take, uh, you know, and I've taken my kids and my wife a couple of times just, you know, as a kind of a vacation or whatnot. I'm trying to indoctrinate my uh my, my children who want to go to school there as well. So, um, yeah, I, I go back and, um, always, uh, like, uh, impressed with, you know, the school seems to be, you know, doing the right things and growing in the right direction. Campus looks great. So love always going back. 
Absolutely. A lot of growth uh, since you graduated. When you were in the program, did you have uh, your eyes set on entrepreneurship, possibly starting your own company at the time? So I I did not. I mean, in a million years, I never thought that I'd be an entrepreneur, really. I, you know, I thought I worked at Air France. I really enjoyed what I did in the airline business because it was very dynamic, right? So I, I, I was always felt like I was doing different things. There was high energy and so forth. Um, so, you know, my job was to, I thought was I was going to get a nice job in corporate America and I could, you know, get, you know, four weeks vacation a year and I could just have a nice life and, um, you know, put away my 401k and all that kind of stuff. And so I never thought of being, really being an entrepreneur. I did take two or three entrepreneur classes with uh, Al Napier and I, I really enjoyed those and I learned a lot uh, from those, but that wasn't my, my ultimate goal. So I think I was a little, um, uh, maybe jaded is the wrong word, but when I graduated from Rice, I got a job in operations at, at Citibank, and um, and I thought it was I thought every job like I had at Air France was going to be as fun, and you know, being being working for a bank was a completely different dynamic. It's it was sterile. It was kind of um, didn't have that same kind of exuberance I felt that you know the airlines had. So every, all decisions had to be had took forever to get done. You know I'd work on a project at Citibank and it felt like it took a year for it to be implemented. And and I didn't feel like I was making a difference. So kind of rewind from my days back in New York. I you know where I developed the passion for running. Um, I ran all through the, you know the uh, the Jones School and I would you know that, that that would be my release and I was running in Cincinnati and. Um, there was there was a major player in terms of a running store um, uh, here in Cincinnati, and, but I you know I ran and I felt like there was opportunities though for a running store um, in, uh, in in Cincinnati that was kind of uh, that would, could be matched up against the, the competitor, and so I started writing a business plan. But back in my days when I was uh, back at the Jones School and we did like a, a business plan, I took it out and I started to do my pro formas, a marketing strategy, an operation strategy, so on and so forth, and. I, um, I I started to execute upon it. I, I started preparing everything. And I remember, um, I think it was January 2009 when the subprime crisis hit um, in like, you know, the stock market just dropped. It lost about 50% of its value uh, during in one day. And I was working on my business plan. I was ready to execute. And all of a sudden I was talking to my dad and he was like, you know, this may not be the right time to go into business right now with, you know, portfolios being plummeted, going into a recession and so forth. So I, so I put it on ice for about like, you know, eight or nine months. And then like, um, I decided all of a sudden, like in September, I go, listen, it's never a good time, September of 2010. So I quit my job. Um, and I started to just devote hundred percent of my time to the, uh, to the business and opened up in December of, uh, 2010. And, um, you know, here I am 11 years later, I now have, uh, uh, three stores, but it was, you know, it's, it's 11 years later, it still feels like yesterday and it still feels like we're in startup mode and growth <laughs> and growth mode and so forth. But, um, it's been one of those things where I never regret go, go, going into work every day is, is fun every day. I, I enjoy coming in and, uh, I can promise you my 401k is a lot less than most of my classmates at, uh, from the Jones school and, you know, that graduated me. And I, and I know that, you know, I've probably sacrificed some potential earnings and, that's okay. I, 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 I love what I do. I enjoy what I do. I feel like I make a difference. Um, so to rewind what you said, no, I did not think I was going to be an entrepreneur, but I, um, but I'm happy that I did take those classes and they really set me up for, uh, for success here. Congratulations on the success of your stores. 
well, you haven't seen my balance sheet, so don't congratulate me so quickly. But yes, uh, it's uh, 11, 11 years, and uh, but we're, we're grinding. We're still here. What have you learned through this process of, of you know creating the running stores that maybe you could share with other entrepreneurs uh, that might be helpful? There's tons of lessons, um, and you know every business is different. I know probably a lot of the you know people graduating from the Jones School or from the people that already have graduated from Jones School. It's probably a lot more technologically um, uh, involved, and maybe maybe for more finance involved. My, you know, my business is very hands-on. It is very community involved. Um, and so the lessons that, that, that I have learned is, you know, to, um, you know, to invest back into your community and to, and, and cause I have such a, a visible role in the community, whether, cause I work with schools, I work with charities and so forth like that. So I try not to step on a, um, a dime to pick up a penny. So, uh, you know, I give back about $75,000 a year, whether it be money and, and, and um, you know, gift cards or shoes and things like that, uh, back to the community. So, you know, the first thing I would say is if you look at your marketing budget and if you think it's going to cost, you know, X amount, multiply that by three. I, I was, I just feel like, um, you know, you, you have to constantly work to kind of get your name and, and out there and people to know who you are. And, uh, and then when you have it out there, you just can't sit on it, right? You just got to continue to be involved. So for me, it's always been, uh, it's very important for me to be involved in, uh, in the area and to be seen doing different things and being a good ambassador, uh, to the community. So, you know, your marketing dollars and how you manage it and how you invest it is, is, is very important. And for my business, it's kind of more, that community involvement. It's not so much about being on television, which, you know, or going on radio, that doesn't work, but it's about, you know, smaller touch points. So that's, that's one thing. Second thing for my business, I, I carry a lot of inventory. People come to uh, my store to, to buy stuff, right? So if I don't have inventory, I can't, I can't sell stuff, but you, it's, it's delicate because you can't fall in love with your shoes and you can't fall in love with the, with your product. And when I first opened my, uh, my business, there was a major competitor and, and, you know, he was the benchmark. And I, so I never wanted to feel like I did not have what he had. So when people came into our stores, I was like, well, we got everything that they have. Well, you can really all of a sudden get yourself in trouble where you have all your money tied up on the shelves and in inventory. So managing your inventory the right way, having the proper amount of turns, meaning like, you know, how many times are you turning your inventory in a year? So for me, if I can kind of turn it four times a year, that's, that's great, you know, and get the maximum of, ROI um, on the on the investment there. So not falling in love with your inventory, not having too much inventory is uh, big and try to find that kind of, you know, 20, 80 rule where you have, you know, maybe 20% of the inventory that, you, you know, that that's probably out there, but you can satisfy 80, 85% of the uh, uh, of the customer. So, you know, managing that inventory is, uh, is so huge. Definitely. And I'd like to ask you sort of on the flip side, um, your customers, you know, runners, in the time you've had the stores, have you noticed any, I guess, changes or trends in running? Um, you know, how has that sort of evolved? And did the pandemic change that in any way? So I would be probably out of business if I counted on uh, counted on runners, you know, to, to support my business. I would say over 50% of my business um, is our non-runners. Um, they're, they're nurses. They are people that work in factories, um, you know, parents, so on and so forth. These are people that, you know, 
what happens is um, when I first bought my br- my first brand new car, they, they I got a Subaru and I was so excited. Like you know, after I graduated from the uh, from the Jones School, and I I got Sirius XM, and there was a, a radio guy uh, that 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 was on. He always talked about taking care of your teeth and your feet, and you know, and it's so true. So many people have neglected their feet. You know, we we don't you know we don't go to mom and pop um, shoe stores anymore. When we were younger, my mom would take me to Buster Brown, I think, and get measured and so forth. And there's just been a lot of people now that, you know, we're in the Target generation. You go to Target, you buy shoes, they look cool. And as a result of that, I, I deal with a lot of people that have mangled feet and just have people that have uh, have issues, whether it be plantar fasciitis, bunions, and so forth. So for them, it's very refreshing to have somebody who's going to sit down and, you know, uh, once again, I, I <laughs> who would have thought I spent all this money on my MBA and I'm like, you know, taking people's socks off and I'm, I'm playing with people's feet and <laughs> I, still do that. I still do that today, you know, and I think that's important too. That's another thing. It's like, you know, I can never remove myself that part from the business. I, I would say that I work 15 hours on the floor every week because it's important to know who your customers are. So I got a lot of customers that just haven't taken care of their feet. And, and, and so I'm here to kind of like, okay, well, we're going to get you in a, you know, it's not going to necessarily solve the problem, but we're going to put you in a better position. So we help a lot of people that just have either injuries, bad feet, um, you know, people that are on their feet all day. And we try to find proper solutions because I didn't even I, I didn't know this until I started kind of, you know, taking classes and studying it myself. But, you know, feet do different things. You know, you overpronate, you supinate. Uh, when you run, some people heel strike, some people a midfoot strike, some people a forefoot strike. So there's all these different components to it. And if you just buy a shoe that looks kind of cool, um, that's a great way, uh, that's a great way to get injured. So, um, so I would, you know, going back, I would say once again, over 50% of my customers are non-runners. Now, having said that we, um, a major marketing component to our, to our stores, we have running groups and we have, we prepare people for uh, half marathons, marathons, and, you know, we, um, we get them to, to be ready for that. And that these people, who train with us and work with us, you know, um, pre-pandemic, we had about 800 people in our training groups and um, they became, they become our best ambassadors, our best advocates, and they're really kind of uh, promoting our, uh, our praise in the community. So we take care of those people. We get them to the finish line. Um, they're kind of like our platinum medallion members. If you fly on airlines, whatever they need, they get. If they want to return a shoe that's five months old, I'm not going to nickel and dime them. I'm going to, I'm going to take that shoe back for them. I'm going to, we're going to make sure that they're taken care of. You know, we do tons of happy hours and, you know, um, I spend, you know, I never thought I'd be, I'd spend like, you know, $8,000 a year on beer, buying people beer, but I guess I'm, I'm bribing people to run with us with, uh, <laughs> with beer and things like that. So, you know, I, I, I have keg raiders in our store because after the runs, they like to hang out. And so the running groups become very social, um, uh, for, for our people. And, it's it's very funny. So we sell clothing, running gear, and all that kind of stuff. And what really sells best for us are the things that have Tri-State Running Company written on it. You know, as you know, our logo, our our emblems, our our things like that. And it's so funny when you and I go out and I'm in you know going out to dinner and you see somebody wearing a Tri-State Running Company sweatshirt. And for these people, that's maybe the equivalent of wearing the Cincinnati Reds or or you know, the Cincinnati Bengals or something along those lines. That's the team that they root for and they belong with. And it's like, it's, it's very humbling all the time um, to, to, to see that. And I never, ever take that for granted. I'm always so appreciative of, of all that stuff. And so, you know, we've touched a lot of lives and so forth. So it's, it's always so important for me to be aware in the community and, you know, 
um, to kind of always be on my best behavior, which is tough for me. And so when my when my wife, you know, wants to tell me what I've done wrong, and I I try to remind her, like, let's do this at home because um, then you can tell me what I've done all wrong, and and so we can you know go home and talk about it because there's always eyeballs, and you know it's it's for lack of better terms, you know. <laughs> And I hate to say it, it's like you're you, I almost feel like a, a very small local celebrity because just I've, I've, I've kind of worked with a lot of people that way. So it's just very important to be aware of that. And you'd hate to kind of, you know, destroy the uh, the illusion that I'm a, that, you know, we're, we're, we're family owned good business and so forth. So I'm always kind of aware of that component of it as, as well. But, you know, when the pandemic hit. It was weird. That's when we um, we really cashed in on a lot of the goodwill that we've created in the community, whether it be, you know, I'm always giving to, you know, the, the schools and, and charities and so forth. And so when the pandemic hit, um, people were very like they kind of chose small businesses that they, that they wanted to, uh, to support. And so we started like an online business and, and we started to to ship online and do different things uh, that way. Um, that's never going to be our core competency. And I still want to work in to develop that, but we developed the, an online business. Um, and, but, you know, technically, you know, like, so in Kentucky, I have a store, you know, two stores in Kentucky, one in Ohio. In Kentucky, we could do curbside pickup and people could come by, they could call us up and they could say, hey, we need this, that, and the other. And people were coming out in droves to kind of support our store and, and come look, I'm going to get this. And whether they met and needed it or not, they were, they were coming out and they were um, they, they were buying stuff. I had people come, you know, buy five hundred dollars in gift cards. And I'm like, you know, and that once again, it's it's humbling that they would do that. And and it's very nice that they would do that. Um, but so we had curbside pickup in uh, Kentucky where they could do that in Ohio. We didn't have that that luxury. So we did like a lot of online stuff and, and things of that nature. But people went out of their way to kind of return the the years of goodwill that we created in the community and our training group people wanted to to see us do well so that really uh that really kept us i think afloat uh, during uh during that time there and the pandemic what happened was our training groups were such a big part of our our our, our you know of what we do um you know we lost a lot of that business because we couldn't have training groups and, and i was very mindful too that you know i didn't want to have groups of 800 people running in cincinnati and them saying oh well you know, there's Tri-State Running Company. They don't care about, you know, spreading, you know, the, uh, the, the, the virus. So we didn't have our training groups and that, and that hurt uh, quite a bit there. So, but on the flip side, there are a lot of people that could not travel. They weren't taking their vacations over to Europe or they weren't going, you know, to different spots. So there's a lot of people that picked up, I want to, you know, the sport running, some of them did. A lot of them were just being outside walking, doing things with the family. So we picked up a lot of business uh, that way. And so, in the long term, I think that maybe will help us because we got more people exposed to the sport and, you know, more people involved uh, with running short term. It hurt us not having, you know, our training groups and so forth. So, um, you know, I don't know in the wash how it all works out, but I think the pandemic did get people more exposed and, and more aware of running and realized that, hey, you know, you don't have to run seven days a week to be a runner. But maybe it's something I can enjoy doing two or three times a week and, and just kind of stay in shape. Absolutely. Well, tremendous insight into your business and your growth. And I, I guess the point that fascinated me was that um, a lot of your customers aren't runners. That that was a surprise to me um, to to learn that and who who's coming and who needs your services. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I, I, you know, there's just a lot of people that have neglected, I think, their, their, their feet through the year. So uh, I, I see it a lot with you know, first thing I've learned is never tell a lady her shoe size. Uh, I bring out uh, I bring out the shoe and I don't tell them what their shoe size is because I think uh, 
um, ladies, there's a, they, they view um, shoe size with femininity. And uh, so I never tell them their shoe size because I think, you know, you get measured once when you're younger and you think that's the same size. Well, because of running and, and, and so forth, my, I've actually over the last 20 years have actually gone from a size nine to a size 11 just because my arches has collapsed so through the years and whatnot. So, you know, um, there's just a lot of people that need help that way. And especially like a lot of older people that, you know, um, just uh, they, they, they haven't taken care of their feet. So, you know, I'm, I'm a resource for them to help them. And, you know, uh, I tell our, I tell our, our staff and our, our people, and I'm very lucky. I have a great staff of, of, of employees. We don't have much turnover. They enjoy what they do. And I'm very blessed to have them. They, uh, but I, I remind them all the time, if we're in the wrong business, if we're not comfortable putting shoes on people's feet and, you know, touching feet and things like that, then we're in the wrong business. So it's, you know, always stay humble and always stay, you know, uh, be of service and always being, you know, uh, thinking of their needs first. And, you know, then we can, you know, uh, go from there. But I, it's always just so important to, to never forget that people are coming to see you. And there's lots of places that they can go, but they've tr they trust us. And, you know, uh, it's important for us to do the right thing. Absolutely. And I think that that customer service element is really important. There's a place I go here that and they offer that customization. And I found that um, I wasn't wearing the right shoe size and I was surprised. And so to have someone be able to to explain to you and, and what you're doing. But if I just went in and tried on running, you know, running shoes on my own, I would not have picked the size that they told me I needed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's always a surprise. That's why, once again, I, you know, I, I don't tell, I try not to, unless they ask me, I try not to tell them their size until it's afterward, until it's afterwards. And they say, oh, this feels good because, you know, no, I've been wearing a size, you know, eight and a half all my life. And I'm like, well, <laughs> you should be in a size 10 right now. But uh, my, my line to, you know, it's usually I get more fights, <laughs> not fights, but I usually get more, uh, <laughs> you know, pushback from, uh, from, from the females and, and, you know, cause they don't want to go up to a size 10 or whatever it is, but I often have to remind them, I go, I've been in a lot of locker rooms. No men ever talk about a lady's foot size and, you know, or feet size. And, you know, that's the last thing that we're, we're concerned with. So let's go with what's comfortable and what, uh, what feels right. And you will be better, uh, better in the long run. But yeah, I mean, if you want to get involved in running, I can't urge enough to get fitted and, and to, to, to get the right shoes. Uh, the two things that I see, the two mistakes that I see, um, from people that are trying to get involved in running or, or walking is one, just having the wrong equipment, you know, wrong shoes and so forth. Because like I said, everybody's foot does something different. Every shoe does something a little bit different, but also um, finding a plan that's appropriate. Uh, people get the bug and all of a sudden they try to do too much too soon. And, you know, they get injured because they haven't been active and all of a sudden they are you know, running five miles, four days a week or five days a week and they get injured. And so that's kind of reversed back what I said when I was living in New York City. I didn't know what I was doing. And I was lucky enough that I was young, younger, I should say at the time, and I could get away with some of those injuries and or away with some of those mistakes. But when you get to be an old man like me now, you have to, you know, you have to kind of gradually uh, get yourself involved and, and, and not do too much too soon. Cause you'll get injured. Then all of a sudden you're out for six months and then, you know, you're, you're, you're not doing anything to kind of stay healthy and, and active. So if I could urge two things with people, it's just, you know, get, get the right shoes, get fitted and see somebody, you know, you know, once a year, cause things change, things evolve and make sure you're changing out your shoes every 350 miles or so, because after that, the cushioning wears out, the, the support wears out, and 
people think they can wear them forever. So, you know, just make sure that, you know, you're seeing people who can constantly reevaluate, make sure that, you know, you're, you're in the right shoe because things do evolve and just maybe find a group and find a group that's appropriate where they can kind of get you on the right plan and, and, um, have you doing the right, uh, you know, the right mileage in, in the beginning there. Also running is great, but it can be monotonous, right? Cause you're out there by yourself. You're doing this all the time. And, you know, um, you know, we, that's why our running groups are so successful because when we're training for a marathon and we're doing our long runs, we're doing 16, 18, 20, 22 miles. It really goes by quickly because you're running with friends and you're, and, and you got, you know, you got people that you can talk to, uh, you know, a good running group so have water stops out for you goose stops out for you things of that nature so you know um so it becomes like you don't have to worry about it you just go out there and run and you know you put your mind uh you don't think about running you're just thinking about hanging out with with people and, and friends and all that kind of good stuff so um you know if you join a, a running group i think that can make a big difference in terms of just kind of keeping it sustainable and making it a lifestyle now that you've been in business you know a little more than a decade um what are your plans moving forward? Is it a ch- is it a challenge to kind of figure that out? And you know how much you grow, where do you grow? Yeah, you know, I I um, it is a challenge. I'm gonna, you know, I I have a vision of what I think it looks like, you know, in terms of where I want to be with the, the total number of stores and whatnot. What I will say is, you know, um, I don't want to just grow in terms of just grow revenues. I want to be uh, profitable, right? So. I know there's sometimes there can be ego, like saying, I want to be the biggest, I want to have the most. And like I've realized that um that that's not as important to me. I just wanna I wanna be able to, you know, I, it it sounds kind of like it it sounds kind of tongue in cheek, but I just want to be able to put food on the table for my family and 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 put them to college and things like that. And um mistakes people can make, I think, are trying to do you know, grow at all costs and and not think about the uh, the profit and loss statement. So there's that component. There's also the family component of it as well. I, I, I'm very blessed that I have a, a wonderful wife that um, has picked up a lot of the slack. And um, for 11 years now, it's been 75, 80 hour, uh, you know, work weeks. And so I, I feel bad that I haven't been able to spend time, with, you know, and any entrepreneur will probably tell you that. And I'm probably, maybe I, I do, you know, too much. I don't need to do all that stuff, but you know, it's your baby and you want it to be successful and you, you want it to do well. And I've sacrificed, you know, I think time with my, with my family, with my kids. And that's something that uh, starting uh, a business, you know, I would urge entrepreneurs to think about is like, you know, how do you, how can you uh, measure it and, and manage and balance it and balance it all. And quite frankly, I don't think I've done a great job of balancing it, you know, um, with my family. So often my wife will say that she's, a, she's a single mom. And in, in a lot of ways she, she, she has been, um, she works too. She's a school teacher. And so, you know, she has a lot of responsibilities on her own. So I, 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 I take, I put a lot of the burden, uh, burden onto her. So, you know, when I talk about growth, I, I say, well, do I want to keep be doing this for so long where I won't see my, you know, my kids really grow up because, you know, you know, when I grew up, I played sports, I played, you know, soccer, I played, you know, um, baseball, I played, you know, basketball. And these are all things that like my father was there with me, taught me how to do these things. And I haven't been able to do that with my kids um, as much. And as my grandmother's always said, you know, things always work out for the best. And, and I do believe that, but there's a component of that, that you have to measure. So, or balance. And so when I think about growth and what I want to do, you know, um, I, I, I think in, you know, 10 years from now, I, I'd like to maybe have another store too. Um, but that, I think that's, that's it. And hopefully I get enough economies to scale where, um, I can, I don't have to kind of be as involved in that way, but having said that, I would 
I would like to work until I'm like 72, 73 years old. I, I love what I do. Um, I'm, I'm very blessed that it doesn't matter to me whether it's a Tuesday or Saturday. I enjoy what I do and I enjoy coming into work. And so that's the biggest gift that I could give anybody is saying, you know, you know, do what you love. And if you, if it's Saturday, cause you know, I talk to my buddies and like, you no know, Friday, everybody's looking forward to the weekend and I have to work, but you know, it's like, it doesn't feel like work to me. It feels just like I, I enjoy right. what, I, what I, what I do. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? You know, I would, if, you know, you are at still at the Jones School or you're going to go in to get your MBA, uh, take those two years into, if you're going to the full-time program, at least, you know, take those time, take those years to invest in yourself and to, to, to not take any shortcuts and to not, you know, um, I look at, I wish I would have done in undergrad what I did in graduate school in terms of just learning and, 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 and taking that time to kind of, um, better yourself. You'll never have that chance again. You'll never have that time again. Um, so take advantage of, of those uh, opportunities there. And, um, I, uh, I was very lucky to meet some very, very quality, great people. And I would say that I learned as much out of class as I did, um, uh, in class and from their experiences and from, uh, things uh, that they did in their uh, personal lives and, and professional lives and whatnot. So, um, I, you know, the Jones School was the best decision I ever made. And, you know, it's funny how it all worked out. I was in New York City and, and, and you know, I, I made the cross-country trip to do it, but uh, I would not change a thing. So if you are going to school, really take that time to to invest in yourself and to to take those uh, learnings and and you know I still I still draw on uh, on them today and they're a foundation for everything that I do for sure. Cameron Simino, Rice Business Class of 2005. We want to thank you for joining us. Thank you, and it was a, it was fun to talk with you, and uh, look forward to going back to campus soon and seeing everybody. This has been I'll Have You Know. Thanks for listening. You can find links and more information about our guests, hosts, and announcements on our website, business.rice.edu. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you find your favorite podcasts and leave us a comment while you're at it and let us know what you think. I'll Have You Know is a production of Rice Business and is sponsored by the Rice Business Alumni Board. The hosts of I'll Have You Know are myself, David Drugliever, and Christine Dobbin.